0: Uh Troy started us off last week in this uh, series called Words Matter. As we look at some of the words in the scripture and, and uh, try to figure out what, what do they really mean? What's the significance of those words? And, and we're using Galatians 5. Uh, in a passage uh, that Paul gave us uh, about the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the things that I want to say in preface as we walk through these words, um, you'll notice that in Galatians, it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit, but it says the fruit of the Spirit, that these all come as a package. They all come uh, to us as one, and it's part of who we are in Christ. It's part of belonging to Christ. And, and so um, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And when we become a new creation, the Spirit, uh, the resurrection Spirit of Jesus Christ comes into our life and he starts to change us from the inside out. There's a transformation that begins to happen and one of the byproducts of that transformation is that there is fruit that's born in our lives. There's fruit that grows in our lives through the spirit of Christ and through what God has done for us. And, and so we're going to look at that this morning because a lot of us when we get to this idea of joy, we confuse joy with being happy. And and happiness is sort of a national pursuit these days. Uh, there's tons of books on how to make me happy, how to make you happy, how you can find happiness. In fact, um, I Googled it this week, and and if you Google happiness or you Google uh, actually happiness.com, you'll come to a website right away that that, that says delivering happiness, and, and it's this company and their job, their goal is to deliver happiness. And here's a Here's what their website says, science tells us that people are bad at predicting what keeps us happy. It also says that focusing on our passions and purpose can create sustainable happiness. Yet here we are, a global society of people that are unhappy or think they could be happier in life. Simply put, everyone wants to be something, part of something bigger than ourselves to have a higher purpose and that's where we come in referring to the people on the website. We believe by prioritizing happiness and work and life, together we can create change in the world more than we ever thought possible. Backed by science, business sense, and common sense, we know that living a purposeful life is what really matters. So come along and join the movement. As our CEO says, it all begins with you. It can be as simple as passing out balloons to strangers or breaking out your best dance moves at the next company party, that won't be me, or making a bigger impact by hosting an Inspire event uh, in uh, your company or community. How will you pay happiness forward and so they're talking about happiness and and they get part of it right they're right for just a minute that that we all desire to be some part of something bigger than ourselves the question is uh, what is that and and how do we get that so if you if you continue on the website you can click on happiness 101 and they give you five things that you can do in your life that that will give you happiness and and one of those things really attracted me because it said this uh, it it, it said that if you really want to be happy take control of your life If you don't like your job, if you don't like your relationship, if you don't like your town, get rid of them and find new ones. And then take control and make yourself happy, and I thought, oh, how tragic that we have a whole world that if they don't feel happy, they throw away their job, they throw away their relationships, they, they move to another town, they, they buy another car, they do another thing, all thinking that that's going to create some kind of happiness. Now, I'm a huge fan of self-discipline, I'm a huge fan of hard work, uh, I believe that we make plans, but I also recognize that none of those things in themselves will give us Joy. They, they might make you happy for a little bit, but they won't bring the kind of joy that we're going to talk about this morning. Now, I brought in a prop this morning. I have a, I have an, I have an iPhone 5C, an iPhone 5C, and I really—it's a great phone. I really like my iPhone 5C. I've had it for a while, and I really want a 63, 6C, actually because I've seen the advertisements and I've seen the stuff that they can do and I think I would really like, what I typically do is is I let Aaron get it first and then I'll wait for a while so he can learn all the stuff and then I'll get one and he can make sure it works for me. But but I have a 5C that works good and it's really fine but all of a sudden those 6Cs come out and my 5C just kind of seems boring now. It's kind of an old phone and I'm thinking, it's got to be on its last legs, right? I mean, it can't be that great. I really do need to get a 6C. Come on, work with me. But isn't that the way we live our lives, that we have, we accumulate these things that are really fine and they're hap- we're happy with them and, and then all of a sudden the next thing comes out and all of a sudden we're not quite as happy with that as we used to be and we're looking for the next thing. That's because happiness is different than joy and we're going to talk about where joy comes from. We're going to talk about real joy this morning, and and I want to explain to you this morning that when we experience joy, when we experience the fruit of the Spirit, it's the evidence of the fact that Christ lives in us. The evidence of the fact that Christ is in us is that we bear fruit, that we grow in these things. So there's three things that I'm going to try to Uh, help us look at this morning, you know, there's three things that I really, really want you to walk away with this morning. The first one is that joy is a promise. Joy is a promise that Christ gives us. The second thing is that joy is not the absence of our sorrow. Joy overwhelms our sorrow. Jesus said that in this world there'll be trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Later in James, uh, uh, James the Just, the half-brother of Jesus, says, count it all joy when you face various trials. Because through those trials, you'll develop endurance. Through those trials, you'll develop depth. You'll experience joy. And then the third thing is that prayer unlocks our joy. Prayer is the key to unlocking our joy those are things that we want to talk about this morning and uh, and I'd like to do them from from a great passage in the ch- in the book of John the the second half of John something really remarkable happens a- and it begins in chapter 13, but it's a story of the upper room, and part of these chapters, uh, 14 through 16, are what they call the upper room discourse, that Jesus is talking to his disciples. He knows that this is the night that he's going to betray, be betrayed. He knows that, th- that he is going to be arrested, and, and that it's going to end at the cross, and he's trying to prepare his disciples. He sort of, here's the last things, the, the things that I want you to understand, the things that I, want, uh, that, that, that I want cemented in your heart and your mind before we go forward, and, and so so it begins when he leads his disciples to this upper room that he has prepared this place. And it's a very private meeting. And so if you've read the story out of John 13, you know that Jesus comes with his disciples, but his disciples are in a great competition with each other. They want to know when Jesus establishes his kingdom, who's going to sit on his right and who is left. They, they still don't understand what's about to happen to them, so in their arrogance and their pride and their competition, they walk into this room, and there's it's a private dinner, so there's no servant at the door to wash their feet, and so none of them are going to degrade themselves. None of them are going to embarrass themselves by washing their own feet, so they simply come in uh, and and, and they uh, forget custom. They come in and they lay at the table. And if you read the story, you know that Jesus then pulls up, wraps his robe around his waist. He takes a basin and a towel, and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And after this unbelievable moment, then Jesus begins to tell his disciples what's going to happen. He begins to describe to them what they can expect and prepare them for what's about to happen. And we're gonna pick it up in John, the 16th chapter, beginning at verse 16. He says this to his disciples. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is it that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I mean by saying a little while and you will not see me again and again in a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy, and so Jesus is beginning to describe to his disciples what's going to happen. That up until this point, all of their hopes all of their dreams had have, were built around being in the presence of Jesus, that they walked with Jesus, they ate with Jesus, they slept in the same place as Jesus, they lived with him, they watched everything that he did, they heard everything that he had to say, he taught them how to pray, he taught them what it was like to live a loving life, everything that they did was built around being in the presence of Jesus, and now Jesus is telling them that he needs to go away for a while, but then in a little while, he'll come back, and it was devastating news to them because they thought everything was built around being with Jesus, being in his presence. And they have no idea what all of this means. Now we have the luxury of hindsight and, and we have the story of the scripture and we know that Jesus is talking about the fact that, that he is going to be arrested and betrayed and he's going to be crucified and that he's going to go away but in three days he's going to come out of the tomb and they will see him again and so he's he's, he's starting to explain this truth to them but at this moment the disciples have no idea. They're distressed, uh, they're panicked, uh, they they're don't know what to make of what Jesus is talking about and then Jesus says, truly, truly, and whenever you use those uh, two words together for emphasis. He's saying, "Listen, write this down. Memorize this. I want you to understand this is really critical." He says that you that I say to you, you will weep and lament. And we know that that's exactly what happened to the disciples that they they wept. We know that that Peter not only wept but he denied Jesus 3 times and then he wept and ran out of the courtyard uh, of the temple. We we know all of this happened. You will weep and lament, but the world those around, those who crucify me, they'll rejoice. They'll think they won. They'll think it's all over. But here's what's gonna happen. He, he says, but you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And it's nothing they can manufacture. It's nothing that they can do, but it's because of who Jesus is. He says, your sorrow will turn into joy. He's preparing his disciples for a horrible experience, but the, it's the worst thing they can imagine. But he's saying that the result of that is going to be joy the result of what you're going to experience will turn into joy for you and so here's what we know we know that all of these things happened. we know that christ came that he gave his life on the cross that he was put in a tomb and we know that in three days he rose And we are resurrection people. We are people who celebrate the resurrection because Christ has risen. And you know, for over 2,000 years, if there's one thing in all of the Bible that that critics have tried to disprove, it's this truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet for over 2,000 years, they failed miserably. In fact, I can give you books today that are written by people who set out to disprove the resurrection. And at the end of their study, they decided to follow Jesus because they found out that it was absolutely true. And so we are people of the resurrection. We are people who believe in the resurrection resurrection and because we know that the resurrection is true we know that everything else that Jesus said has to be true and so when Jesus said in John 14 that I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also we know that it's the truth because the resurrection is true that is true and that we have above all else in our lives we are people who have hope we have hope because of who Jesus is we know how the story ends we know what's going to happen. We know that regardless of how much sorrow we face in our lives, we know regardless of how many trials we have, how many hard circumstances we have, all of the pain that we have in our lives, we know how the story ends, we know what the truth is, and we are people of hope, and in that hope is produced joy. Because we are people of hope. Because we know the story isn't finished. We know this isn't the best it's gonna get. We know that it's not dependent on us, but it's dependent on what Christ has done, that we belong to him, that we experience his joy because of who he is. And it's driven by our hope, by the hope that comes from being resurrection people, by the hope that comes from understanding, recognizing the resurrection. Well, he uses a great illustration in verse 21 to make this point. And uh, so let let me read this to you. Beginning in verse 21, he says, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Now some of you understand this illustration better than others of you this morning. I've never actually experienced this illustration, but I've watched it several times. And and I know that there's something that miraculously happens. I I know I'll never forget that going through the whole childbirth experience and watching my wife um, go through that experience and then seeing the transformation when the doctor took that little baby and laid that baby on her chest, that suddenly it wasn't about the pain anymore. Uh, Suddenly it wasn't about the contractions and giving birth, but all of a sudden it was the joy of having that baby, the joy of holding that child. And, And it's just amazing, miraculous to watch, and it convinced me that I could never do that, but uh, but I want to say this, that, that in the first century, it's what we would like to call pre-epidural. And m- my wife actually didn't take anything when the birth of our three boys. In fact, for years, I called her a prairie mother, that we were like in a wagon train, and she just gave birth to these kids. But, uh, but this was pre-epidural, so women who had babies experienced all of it, Everything. And, and having a child was a life-threatening event in the first century, that many women died in, in childbirth then. And here's what Jesus is saying, that, that I, I'm not running the risk of death, that I am dying for your sake. And, and we get a little picture in John 3 when Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and he says, you know, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, unless you're born again, What Nicodemus didn't know is that it was Jesus who was going to provide that birth. It was the pain and the sorrow that Jesus would go through on the cross that would provide that new birth for Nicodemus and for the world. And he experienced, in fact, that's why in Hebrews 12 too, it says that, um, that Jesus endured this, for the joy set before him, endured the suffering of the cross for the joy that was set before him. So, so that in 2015, that somebody, that somebody, when someone comes uh, to him and someone confesses their need for him and asks him into their heart, and he embraces that child, that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the pain and the sorrow of the cross, that for our sakes, Jesus endured the pain and the suffering of the cross, that he knew that his joy in receiving us would be so much greater, it would be so much deeper, it would be so much more, more pure that he endured that, for the sake of the cross, for the joy that was set before him, at the hour of Jesus' death, he went through toil and pain, not to risk of his, not at the risk of his life, but to give his life. And verse twenty-two gives us a really interesting picture. So it says, "So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one." will be able to take that joy from you. Here's what Jesus is saying, that because we're resurrection people, because we believe in the resurrection, because we know it's true, that Jesus is saying, yes, there'll be sorrow, but that sorrow isn't the the last word in your life. Uh, that, That, he says that that sorrow, that joy isn't the absence of sorrow, but joy will overwhelm our sorrow. That in the midst of those, the deepest, the hardest times in our lives that we can experience the joy of Christ because we are people of hope. We are resurrection people. We know who he is. Our life is in him. And that joy has been growing in us the whole time. And and often in our lives, we don't really know, uh, we don't really get what's happening in our lives until we really need it. And then we realize what Christ has been doing, that because we're connected to him, because of his love for us, he's been growing that fruit in our lives and we experience his joy that overwhelms our sorrow. So here's another point that I'd like you to to think about this morning. And that is this, that joy, that the opposite of joy is not sorrow, but the opposite of joy is hopelessness. The opposite of joy is not sorrow. That might be happiness. But the opposite of joy is hopelessness. It's when we've given up hope. It's when our hope is built on what we can buy and what we can get and, and how we can pursue happiness and make ourselves happy. It's, it's when we've run to the end of our rope in those things uh, that, that, that we feel hopeless. But, that is, but joy, the opposite of joy, isn't sorrow the opposite of joy is hopelessness because jesus gives us hope the resurrection gives us hope and it's out of that hope that joy is produced jesus said this in verses 23 and 24 in that day you will ask nothing of me truly truly i say to you whatever you ask of the father in my name he will give it to you until now you've asked nothing in my name ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying to us that the truth is there's going to be sorrow in this world. But he said, when you run to him, run to him in Jesus' name. He said, I'm giving you permission to ask in my name. And and he says, says, and and this, this part's caused trouble with a lot of people, but he says, whatever you ask in my name, I will give it to you. But but what he's really talking about in the context of this passage is something that we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. We've been doing this, this Bible study on prayer, uh, actually this having a prayer time on Wednesday nights, and, and one of the things that we've been talking about is wh- that when we worship the Lord, when we recognize who he is, and when we, have conf- we confess our sin and we make our hearts clean and right before the Lord, that, that we get into alignment with who he is, and, and often when we do that in our lives, it changes what we pray for. It changes how we pray. Now we pray in the name of Jesus for, for what would please him, what he would have for us, what he would do in our lives. You see, uh, uh, one, one writer said this, that, that prayer is what we would pray if we knew everything that God knows. It's what we would pray if we, prayed, if we knew everything that God knows. And when we get ourselves into alignment with him, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're asking for. We're talking about what he would give us if we knew everything that he knows. And so he says, you can ask in my name, and the result of asking in his name, the promise that he gives us is that our our joy will be full, to the fullest, complete, overflowing. He promises everything that we need. And it's not a joy that's dependent on circumstances, it's a joy that comes from Christ. It's a joy that comes through the resurrection. It's a joy that the world can't give you and the world can't take away. We carry it in us because of Christ. Somebody asked me between the, the services, well, I just feel like that's, I'm, that, that makes me kind of an ottoman. I can't, I can't do anything uh, about having more joy in my life. I can't grow, I can't build any joy. What am I supposed to do? And I said, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Let Christ be your joy. Let Christ, because of what he has done, create that joy and you and give him thanks and, and welcome his gift of joy in your life and you will experience when you need it, you will experience the joy of the Lord that nobody can give you and nobody can take away. It's because it comes from him. Uh, that's the good news. You see, the good news this morning is that the resurrected Jesus Christ said, I will bring you joy. Ask in my name, and your joy will be full. And he always keeps his promises. He's promised us joy this morning, and he will keep his promise. But here's a little reminder. that The counterfeit to joy comes from resting in the blessings and not the blesser. It comes from resting in the blessings and not the blesser. That's the counterfeit for joy, that when we get focused on the blessings, when we get focused on the things that we want or the, the things that we think we should have and we're not resting in the one who blesses us, the one who gives joy. Then we miss real joy. And so we look to the one who has experienced sorrow for our joy. We run to the one who gives joy even in our sorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can run to you, that you, in your name, you can turn our sorrow into joy. You overwhelm our sorrow with your joy, Lord. And Lord, we want that to be real in our lives. We want to receive that this morning. And Lord, we are grateful that because of the resurrection, because our hope is in you, because of what you have done, you're growing that in us. And Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you that you have promised us that you'll complete the work that you started in our hearts. And so Lord, we receive that today. We are so grateful. We're humbled, Lord, that you would love us that much. Lord, make us people, not only resurrection people, but people of joy. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.